the phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which the spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black hooded robe that left nothing of it visible except for one outstretched hand. Without that hand, it would have been difficult to distinguish the spirit from the darkness of the night that surrounded it. When it came beside him, its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. The spirit neither spoke nor moved. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? The spirit did not answer, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the hooded robe moved for an instant, as if the spirit had inclined its head. But that was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused for a moment to give him time to recover, but that only bothered Scrooge more. He was filled with a vague, uncertain horror, knowing that behind the dark shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him. Ghost of the future... I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and since I hope to live to be a better man than what I was, I am prepared to go where you lead, and do it with a thankful heart. Will, will you not speak to me? It made no reply, but the hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on. The night is short, and the time is precious to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away on the mist as Scrooge followed in its shadow, which seemed to carry him along. The city seemed to spring up about them, and there they were, in the heart of it. Merchants hurried up and down and chinked the money in their pockets and talked in groups and looked at their watches and so forth, as Scrooge had seen them do often. The spirit stopped beside one little group of businessmen. Seeing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge stepped up to listen to their conversation. No, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? I thought he would never die. God knows. What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> It's likely to be a very cheap funeral. For the life of me, I don't know of anybody who'd go to it. Do you suppose the three of us should? I don't mind going in for lunch, is provided. It'd be the only time you paid for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am the least interested in going. I never wear black and I never eat lunch. But I'll go if anybody else will. You know, come to think of it, I may have been his closest friend. 
I mean, we used to stop and speak whenever we met. At this, the men strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge recognized the men and looked towards the spirit for an explanation. But instead, the phantom glided on, its finger pointing towards two other men. Scrooge knew these men also. They were men of business, very wealthy and of great importance. It always made a point of being in good standing with them. In a business point of view. Strictly from a business point of view. How are you? How are you? Well, old Scratch has got his own at last, eh? So I'm told. Told, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose? No, no. Never took it up. Well, good morning. Not another word. That was their meeting, their conversation, and then they were on their way. At first, Scrooge was surprised that the spirit should attach importance to such trivial conversations. But feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he tried to figure out what it was likely to be. It couldn't have anything to do with the death of Jacob Marley, for that was past, and this was the ghost of Christmas future. He couldn't think of any way they were connected with himself. But whomsoever they were discussing, there must be some moral meant for his own improvement, so he resolved to treasure up every word he heard and everything he saw. He was also determined to pay close attention to his future self when he appeared. He felt perhaps that would give him some clue he had missed and help him solve the riddle of the conversations. He looked about and noticed that another man stood on his usual corner, and though the clock indicated it was his usual time of day for being there, he couldn't find himself among the multitudes doing business. He dismissed the thought, however, because after the first two spirits, he had been considering making changes in his life, and hoped his absence was an indication that he had indeed carried out his newborn resolutions. The phantom stood quiet and dark beside him, its hand outstretched. He felt the spirit's unseen eyes were looking at him intently. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of town. Scrooge had never been here before, but knew its bad reputation. The passageways were foul and narrow. The shops and houses ill-kept, the people half-naked, drunken and shady. The whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth, with misery. Deep within this din was a low-browed shop where goods gathered by less than honest means were bought and sold. Upon the floor within were piles of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges and scrap iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would like to know were hidden in the mountains of rags and piles of bones. Sitting among the wares by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a grey-haired rascal nearly seventy years of age who had screened himself from the cold air by hanging a tattered curtain on a line. Scrooge and the phantom arrived just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. She had scarcely entered when another woman with a similar bundle came in, closely followed by a man in faded black. They were all surprised as they recognized each other, 
and after a short period of blank astonishment, they all three burst into a laugh. <laughs> Look here, old Joe, if we hadn't all three met here without meaning it. You couldn't have met in a better place. Come into the parlour, come into the parlour. The parlour was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man raked the fire together with an old stair rod and trimmed his smoky lamp with the stem of his pipe. While he did this, the woman who had already spoken threw her bundle on the floor and sat down on a stool, crossing her elbows on her knees and looking at the other two. What odds, then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more than he did. Well, then, who's the wiser? We're not going to snitch on each other, I suppose. No, indeed. I should hope not. (laughs) Very well, then. Who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? Uh, Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed. If he wanted to keep them after he was dead, well, the wicked old screw, it should have been more decent in his lifetime. If he had been, he'd have somebody to look after him when he was struck with death. Instead of lying, gasping out his last there alone by himself. It's the truest words that was ever spoke. It's a judgment on him. I wish it were a little heavier a judgment than it would have been. <laughs> if I would have laid my hands on anything else. Help in that bundle, old Joe. Let me know the value of it. I'm not afraid to go first. And I'm not afraid for them to see it. We knew pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here. It's no sin. Open the bundle, Joe. But the man in faded black stepped up first with his plunder. It was not much. A ring or two, a pencil case, a pair of cufflinks and a brooch of no great value. They were carefully examined and appraised by old Joe, who chalked the sums he was willing to give for each upon the wall and then added them up. That's your account, and I wouldn't give another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. Who's next? Mrs. Dilbert was next. Sheets and towels, a little clothing, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, and a few boots. Her account was written out on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to ladies. It's a weakness of mine. But that's your account. If you asked me for another penny, I'd repent for being so generous and knock off half a crown. And now undo my bundle, Joe. Joe went down on his knees and, having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large and heavy roll of some dark stuff. What's this? Bed curtains? Bed curtains! (laughs) You don't mean to say you took them down rings and all. With him lying there? Yes, I do. And why not? You were born to make your fortune. And you'll certainly do it. Well, I certainly won't hold back my hand when I can get anything by reaching it out. Not for the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you. Uh, Don't drip oil from that lamp on these blankets now. His blankets? Uh, Whose else do you think? He ain't likely to catch a cold without them. (laughs) I hope he didn't die of anything. Oh, don't be afraid of that. Uh, I ain't so fond of his company that I'd hang about him for such things if he did. And you can look through that shirt till your eyes bleed. But you won't find a hole in it, nor a threadbare place. It's the best he had, and a fine one, too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you mean, wasted it? They were going to bury him in it, for sure. But I took it. (laughs) Calico is good enough for such as him. It's quite as becoming to the body. 
He couldn't look any worse than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to this in horror. He viewed them with disgust, as though they were demons selling the corpse itself. When old Joe produced a flannel bag with money in it and poured out several coins for each upon the ground, Scrooge was horrified to see them laugh with glee. <laughs> he frightened everyone away from him when he was alive, so as to profit us when he was dead. <laughs> Spirit, I see. I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life is headed that way now. A merciful heaven, what is this? Scrooge recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed. And now, he almost touched a bed. A bare, uncurtained bed. On which, beneath a ragged sheet, lay something covered up. The room was very dark, too dark to see anything well. But a pale light suddenly appeared and fell straight upon the bed. There upon it, plundered and bereft, Unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom. Its steady hand was pointed to the head. The cover was so carelessly adjusted that the slightest motion of Scrooge's finger would have revealed the face. He thought of it, knew how easy it would be, and wanted to lift the sheet, but had no more power to do so than to make the spectre leave his side. He wondered, if this man could be raised up now, what would his first thoughts be? Greed? Shrewd business? Gripes and complaints? He lay in the dark, empty house with not a man, woman or child to say that he was kind to them in this or that or that for the memory of one kind word, they would be kind to him. Spirit, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson, believe me. But let us go. Still the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, and I would do it if I could. But I have not the power, Spirit... I have not the power. Still, the phantom seemed to stare at him. If there is any person in this town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, show that person to me, spirit, I beseech you. The phantom spread his dark robe like a wing. As he lowered his arm, it revealed a room by daylight where a mother and her children waited. She was expecting someone. For she anxiously walked up and down the room, looking out the window, glancing at the clock, trying in vain to work on her knitting. At last, a knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a young man whose face was careworn. Yet there was a remarkable expression on it now, a kind of serious delight he seemed to be struggling to repress. He sat down by the fire... And when she asked him what news, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. Well, is it good or bad? Bad? Oh, then what to be tossed out on the street? No, there's, there's hope yet, Caroline. Only if a miracle has happened. But it has. He is dead. You see, when I, when I tried to see him to beg for a few days' mercy, he wasn't ignoring my pleas. He was, 
Lying near death already. But who would our debt be transferred to? I don't know. But by that time we shall have the money in hand. And if not, surely whoever takes over the debt cannot be as merciless as he was. We can sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. The only emotion that the ghost could show him brought on by this man's demise was one of relief and pleasure. Suddenly it was a happier house for this man's death. Let me see some tenderness connected with the death. Or that dark chamber which we left just now will be forever burned into my memory. The ghost led him through several streets familiar to his feet. And as they went along, Scrooge continued to look here and there to find himself. But he was nowhere to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house and found Mrs. Cratchit and the children seated round the fire. It was quiet. Very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner and sat looking at Peter who was reading a book. Mother and daughters were sewing, but all were very quiet. The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The collar hurts my eyes. Makes them weak by candlelight. I won't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home. It must be near his time. Past it. But I think he's walked a little slower than he used to. These few last evenings. I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. And so have I. Often. But it was very light to carry and his father loved him so. That it was no trouble. No trouble. And there is your father at the door. She hurried out to meet Bob in his comforter. His tea was ready for him on the hob. The two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face. Bob was very cheerful with them. He looked at the work on the table and praised Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. They would be done long before Sunday, he said. You went today, Robert? Yes, my dear. Uh, And I wish you could have gone. I would have done you good to see how green a place it is. Uh, But you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little... My little child... He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. He left the room and went upstairs into the room which was lit cheerfully and hung with Christmas green. There was a chair set close beside the child and there were signs of someone having been there lately. Poor Bob sat down on it and when he had composed himself he kissed the little face and went down again quite at peace. They sat near the fire and talked, the girls and mother working still. I ran into Mr. Scrooge's nephew in the street today. I only met him once or twice, but seeing that I looked just a bit down, he asked me what was wrong. He is the pleasantest gentleman he ever heard. I told him, and he said I am heartily sorry for it, and that heartily sorry for your good wife. If I can be any service to you, in any way, he said, giving me his card. That's where I live. Please come to see me. It really seemed as if he knew our tiny Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul. Oh, you'd be sure of it, my dear. If you saw and spoke to him yourself, well, I wouldn't be all surprised if he got Peter a better job. 
<laughs> Soon Peter will be keeping company with some young maiden and setting up house for himself. Come now, father. Eh, it will happen one of these days. Though there's plenty of time for that. However, and whenever we part from one another, I'm sure none of us will forget poor tiny Tim or this first party that there was among us. Mrs. Cratchit kissed him, his daughters kissed him, the two young Cratchits kissed him, and Peter shook his hand. Spirit of Tiny Tim, thy childish essence was from God. I am very happy, very happy and blessed. Spirit, something tells me that our parting is near at hand. Tell me. Who was that man we saw lying dead? The ghost of Christmas yet to come brought him, as before, through the city's business district, but still did not show him his future self. Indeed, the spirit did not stop, but went straight on until Scrooge asked him to wait for a moment. This place we're rushing through now is where my place of business is. I can see it from here. Let me see what I shall be like in days to come. The spirit stopped. His hand pointed elsewhere. But it's right here. Why do you point away? The finger did not move. Scrooge ran to the window of his office and looked in. It was an office still, but not his. The furniture was not the same, and the figure in the chair was not himself. The phantom pointed as before, and Scrooge joined it once again, wondering why and where he had gone. The spirit led him to an iron gate. He paused to look round before entering. It was a churchyard. So it was here, then, that the wretched man whose name he was now to learn lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place. Walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, choked up by the vegetation of death, not life. A worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Scrooge moved toward it, trembling. The phantom was still exactly as it had been, but he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw nearer to that stone, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be? Or are they shadows of things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's choices will lead them towards certain ends if they continue on those paths, but if they choose a different path, the ends will change. Say it is so with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards the grave, trembling as he went. And following the finger... He read upon the stone of the neglected grave the name Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? The finger pointed from the grave to him and back again. No, spirit. Oh, no. No. The finger still pointed. Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I would have been were it not for these visits. Why show me this if I am past all hope? 
For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In his agony, Scrooge caught the specter's hand. It tried to free itself, but he was strong and held it tight. The spirit, stronger still, pulled free. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw a change in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. The bed curtains, they're not turned down. They are still here, (laughs) rings and all. They are here. I am here. The shadows of the things that would have been can be changed. They will be. I know they will. I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken mat. Merry Christmas to everybody. A happy New Year to all the world. He dressed quickly and rushed out into the sitting room and stood there. Perfectly winded. There's the saucepan that the gruel was in. There's the door the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. <laughs> for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. A most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. I don't know what day it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm like a baby. Never mind, I don't care. I'd rather be a baby than the man I was. He was stopped in his tracks by the church bells ringing. The most joyous bells he had ever heard. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist... Clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold. Cold making the blood dance. There was a golden sunlight and a heavenly sky. The sweet, fresh air and the merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious bells. He looked down and spotted a boy in Sunday clothes. You there, boy, uh, what's today? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Well, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Uh, of course they can. Uh, uh, hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the poulterers in the next street over at the corner? I should hope so. <laughs> An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Uh, do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What? What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, Yes, my boy. Well, it's hanging there now. Is it? 
Uh, go and buy it. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here so I can give them direction where to take it. Uh, come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Uh, come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. <laughs> he won't know who sent it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. <laughs> what a joke it will be. He wrote the address with a less than steady hand, but write it he did, and went downstairs to open the door and wait for the poulterer's man. As he stood there, the knocker caught his eye. I shall love it as long as I live. I scarcely ever looked at it before. <laughs> what an honest expression it has on its face. What a wonderful knocker. Oh, here's the turkey. Uh, hello. How are you? Merry Christmas. It was a turkey. He never could have stood upon his legs, that bird. They would have snapped like twigs from the sheer weight of the thing. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab. He laughed as he paid for the cab. And he laughed as he paid the boy. And then he laughed more when he sat down breathless in his chair again and laughed till he cried. Shaving was not an easy task, for his hand continued to shake, and shaving requires attention even when you don't dance while you're at it. But if he had cut the end of his nose off, he would have put a piece of tissue over it and been quite satisfied. He dressed himself all in his best and got out into the streets. The people were pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present. And walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded everyone with a delighted smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant that three or four people said, Good morning, sir, and Merry Christmas to you. And Scrooge said often afterwards that, Of all the sounds he had ever heard, those were the sweetest in his ears. When he spotted the two gentlemen who had walked into his counting-house the day before trying to raise funds for the poor, it sent a pain across his heart. So he headed straight for them. My dear sirs, how do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Mr. Scrooge! Yes, that is my name. And I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to beg your pardon. And Will you have the goodness? Scrooge whispered in his ear. Lord bless me, Mr. Scrooge. Are you serious? If you please. Not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favour? My dear sir, I don't know what to say to such a munificent... Don't say anything, please. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? I will. Thank you. I am much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times. Bless you. He went to the church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and talked with beggars and looked down into the kitchen houses and up to the windows and found that everything gave him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. But he did it, and a very nice young girl answered the door. Is the man of the house at home, my dear? Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? He's in the dining room, sir, along with his wife. I'll show you in if you please. Thank you. He knows me. I'll see myself in. He turned the knob of the dining room door gently and poked his face in. They were looking at the table, which was covered by a festive array of holiday delights. 
for these young housekeepers are always nervous on such points and like to see that everything is right. Fred? Oh, how his niece by marriage jumped. Scrooge had forgotten for the moment about her sitting in the corner with the footstool and hadn't meant to startle her. Ha! Why, bless my soul! Uncle Ebenezer! I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in? It is a mercy he didn't shake his arm off. Scrooge felt at home in five minutes. His niece looked just the same as he had seen her with the ghost. So did Topper when he came. So did the girl in lace when she came. So did everyone. It was a wonderful party with wonderful games, wonderful fellowship, and wonderful happiness. He was at the office early next morning. He wanted to make sure to be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. In fact, he had his heart set upon it. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine, no Bob. A quarter past, no Bob. He was a full eighteen minutes and a half late. Scrooge sat with his door wide open so that he might see him come in. His hat was off before he opened the door, his comforter too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, scribbling away with his pen as if he were trying to turn the time back to nine o'clock. Cratchit, what do you mean, coming in here this time of day? Uh, I'm very sorry, sir. I'm behind on me time. You are? Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. It, It shall never be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Scrooge stood from his chair and came round the desk, slowly closing the distance between himself and his clerk. Now I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore... And therefore... I am about to raise your salary. (laughs) Bob was sure that Scrooge had gone mad. Trembling, he reached for the ruler and had a momentary thought of knocking Scrooge down with it, holding him, and calling to the people in the street for help. A merry Christmas, Bob! A merrier Christmas, my good fellow, than I have given you in many a year. I'll raise your salary and work to assist your struggling family. We will discuss your situation this very afternoon over a cup of Christmas punch. Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. And he became as good a friend, as good an employer, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the change in him, but he let them laugh, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not laugh at. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further dealings with spirits, but it was always said of him after that strange Christmas Eve that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. The last episode of the Joy FM's limited series of A Christmas Carol. 
Adapted from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol by Dave Cruz. Directed by Dave Cruz and Chris Byerly. Voice work by Dave Cruz, Chris Byerly, Alicia Byerly, Kieran Byerly, Sarah Castor, Nathan Brown, Ashley Roberts, Candace Gray, J.R. Reeves, Matt Hitchcock, Jake Dempsey, and Dan Brody. Sound designed by Chris Byerly. Music and Foley effects from Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening to our limited series podcast of A Christmas Carol. Please leave a comment or a review to let us know if you enjoyed it. Also, be sure to click subscribe so that you don't miss any of our future podcasts from The Joy FM.